Where's that faith confession? Ready? I want us to look at this, and uh, I want you guys to speak this out today from the bottom of your hearts as we get ready to go into God's Word. Ready? On three. One, two, three. The applied Word of God will change my life. I actively embrace and embody its teaching. Pleasing God is my. I walk in, not sight. I claim, pursue, and prosper. My faith is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. You got your Bibles, open it up to 1 Samuel. And we're going to be journeying in here in a little bit. In the closing remarks, moments of last Sunday's message, we're done with Ruth, right? But I want to I bring you back to that just for a minute as we segue into the message here today. In the closing moments of last week's sermon, we witnessed the birth of a child to Ruth and Boaz, a child whose lineage would shape the course of history in ways that no one could have imagined. Little did they know that nestled within their embrace, in their arms, laid the seed of a mighty oak tree that would flourish by the name of David. The shepherd king, the psalmist of Israel, the ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ, is right there within their arms. Now let's journey back to Bethlehem because I want us to go back and connect the dots where a young shepherd boy named David tended to his father's flock. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the prophet Samuel anoints David as Israel's next future king, revealing that God's sovereign hand was at work in his life. And as you open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want you to just be honest, because you might be wondering, okay, Pastor Brian, what does the ancient tale of an anointing and of kingship and all of this, what does it mean for us today? How does the story of David intersect with, you know what, my life and my struggles and my aspirations? And I want us all this morning, as we explore this story, I really hope and I invite that God would open up your heart, that you would be sensitive to God's whisper, which is inviting us to embrace our very own callings with courage and great conviction. Are you with me? For just as David was chosen and anointed for a divine purpose, so too are we to fulfill God's redemptive plan within our generation. Tell your neighbor, you're called. Now go and look at your other neighbor, the one you ignored a little bit earlier. Because you ignored him, just say, hey, I'm called. All right, let's jump into the text. First Samuel chapter 16, if you're there, say Amen. All right, no, that wasn't everybody. We got to wait. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. All right, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his son. Now drop down to verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. Go ahead, skip a little bit more. I'm trying to save up my time. Go to verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. 
and he sent and brought him in. Now he was a Rudy, he was Rudy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. That doesn't hurt. Praise the Lord. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And what a sentence. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Let's pray. Father, I am in marvel of your incredible power and your beautiful plan. Lord, I recognize that your presence is here in this place and that your spirit is speaking to us already. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross and that you would, Lord Jesus, empower me with your spirit to speak to your church. God, I recognize that in this place, there are men and women who are in need of restarting or starting for the first time a relationship with you. God, I thank you. That today, if given a chance, I know nothing is going to stand in their way from making that choice today. Father, I'm also aware that in this place, there are people who are searching for a home to call their spiritual church family. Father, I pray that today, nothing will stop them from saying, CIC is where God has brought me. Father, I thank you that as I Share this word that these are your children who are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. In your precious and mighty name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm called. <coughs> I want us to begin first with verse one. Let's look at this statement. He said, I have provided for myself a king. I have provided a king for myself. Friends, as we launch out today, I want you to understand that your calling is your assignment to bring heaven's reality to earth. Your calling is your assignment to bring heaven's reality to earth. From a biblical perspective, I want you to understand that calling is more than a mere vocation. It's more than just what you do. It's more than just, you know, some occupation that you might occupy an office that you might have. A calling is a sacred summons. Say summon. You ever get a summons to go to jury? Ever get one of those jury duty summons? I don't want to go. I don't like to go. I got work to do. I got things to happen. You know, I got kids to manage or whatever. Uh, I don't care if you don't want to come. You have been summoned. You've got to show up. Unless if you don't qualify, that's a whole other story. But a calling is more than just a vocation or occupation. It is a summons, a divinely initiated mandate placed upon our lives, and it comes to us from the very creator of the universe. God said, I have picked for myself someone to be king. God who is enthroned in the heavenlies, who is in the abode of heaven, has made a choice, has a reality in mind, has a decision and a desire that is already established before his eyes. And he says, I now want that assignment to be made reality within. I want it to come on down to earth and match up with what I see here in heaven. Just as God called Abraham out, just as God called Moses from the wilderness, God now calls David from the sheep hole. He calls him from among the sheep in the sheep pen, and he says, David, I want you to come on out, and you are the king that I want to establish. And so God calls David for a kingdom purpose. David, where Saul dropped the ball, I want you to pick it up and move my kingdom forward. David. I want you to fulfill this occupation and mandate that I have for you because my people need a king. Because I've got plans with this people group. Because by them and through them all nations shall be blessed and they have elected to have a king. And so I have established a way and I have a person 
that will fulfill that call. Saul was my choice. It was the people's choice. I let the people go with it. But now I'm making my choice made available, and I want you to. Just as God calls David to advance a purpose, God calls each and every one of us to bring heaven into earth's reality. Wait, Bubba, hold up, Pastor. I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm not a king. Anybody here feel like you're no king? You're not a queen? Come on, you can be honest. Some of you, you know, you'll look in the mirror and you'll be like, you're, you're a king. You're going to slay today. And you say your affirmations and all that other stuff, which is awesome. But some of you run from the mirror and it's like, I ain't no king, I ain't no queen. And, and there's no prophet coming, chasing me down, telling me to go fulfill a calling to move God's plans and purposes forward. But the reality is this. Whether you feel like you don't have a general, like a, a specific dialed down, you know, calling from God. There's no prophet knocking on your door and apostles chasing you down. But here's the reality in very general terms. If you consider Micah 6.8, it says, He has shown you, O mortal. Are you a mortal? How many mortals do we have in this place? Because if there's some immortals in here, I need to find out what the secret sauce is. you got to talk to me after church. Here is what the Lord says and has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of who? You. What does God require of me? That you act justly and that you love mercy and that you walk humbly with your God. Oh, I don't have a calling, pastor. I don't know. No one's asking me to be king or prophet or, you know, uh, entertainment mogul or real estate agent extraordinaire. I don't know what God is calling me to do and be, but hey, he's got a general calling. You're alive. He's got a calling for you. Is the mic cutting out? It is, right? All right. So pardon me. One second. Here is your PSA. If you have a calling to sound engineering, we need you. Like right now, go to the sound booth, okay? Just, it's been said. If you've got a calling for that, we invite you. Come talk to us. We'll get you set up. We'll get you connected. We'll tell you the ropes and, and show you the processes and all that stuff, but we need you. So here's the deal. Where was I? While our specific callings may vary, there are very general mandates for all of us who are people, for all of us who are followers after God that we have to fulfill. God calls us to live lives that are characterized by faithfulness, by obedience, say obedience, characterized by alignment in God's purposes. Furthermore, if I read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you. Pastor, I ain't called. Who what? Called you. So I'm sorry to say you're not off the hook. He's called each and every one of us. He has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Somebody say praise the Lord. Recognize that every believer has been chosen by God, called by God for a purpose and a reason. I love it when he's speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I chose you and called you by name when you were in your mother's womb. He has done that for each and every one of us. There is not a person here that God is clueless as to what your name is. He has called each and every one of us. And so we have a general calling because God has a desire, a mandate that he says, I want heaven's reality to be manifest on earth. I am picking for myself a king. I am picking for myself a people. I am picking for myself, Carolina, Marie, Michelle, Pastor Eddie, Pastor Brian, Francisco, David. I am calling. If you're feeling like you aren't called, then I want you to spend some time in prayer and reflection to discern what is God asking of me. Maybe you don't feel called because you haven't allowed the word of God to penetrate your heart. You haven't allowed God to have his way in speaking to you. Why? Because God is always speaking, but the world tries to speak louder. 
And we have to dial it down and, and mute a little bit. You know, you turn down the volume, take off the earpods, right? And listen to him. Get away from the noise. Get away from the very people that we love sometimes. Because I can't hear God's voice when all my kids are screaming at me. And they want my attention. Sometimes I, you know, God comes through in those moments. Sometimes he's in the earthquake and the whirlwind and all that stuff. But oftentimes he's in the still small voice. And we need to dial things down so that we can hear him. If you're feeling like you aren't called, spend some time. Figure out how, God, can you speak to me, use me? How can I serve others? And as you start to process these questions, God will start to reveal things to you. I was stricken by this story of this lady, a hairstylist by the name of Teresa Russo Cox. She founded him, H-I-M, in 1998. She did so after unsuccessfully trying to volunteer in multiple positions at her church. None of those positions felt like home for her. And she asked God, Lord, why did you give me a talent that's so much about vanity? You help me make people look good, and people often take that, and they go beyond where they should be. Why did you give me this talent? How can I serve you? And now, hairdressers in the marketplace... Him is a ministry of Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, and it offers monthly day of beauty sessions in which marginalized women come through and they are pampered with haircuts and manicures. Him volunteers flood the streets and they go into nursing homes for the poor, homeless shelters. They go into facilities for the mentally disabled and they provide free services. Not only that, they just don't do that to those who can't afford it and all that stuff and are down and out, but they also make it their mission to minister to those in the beauty industry. They try to get other beauticians and hairstylists and makeup artists and people who actually do this type of work to come and volunteer with them. They build rapport, and as they build rapport, they start to speak the word of God to their lives. Why? Because the beauty industry often is a very dark place. The enemy likes to twist and manipulate that which is beautiful before God's eyes so he can mar and destroy it and distort it. And so they make it their mission to minister to these people And there's been testimonies after testimonies of even young kids and teenagers who have been broken in addictions to drugs and alcohol, and they have come to these events and they say, I have not had fun. I don't know what it means to have fun without being intoxicated, and you guys provided that for me, and you made me feel beautiful, and you have brought me a sense of self-worth and dignity. Thank you. See, the world doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care is what one leadership guru once said. This illustration leads me to think that, look, God's calling me be unconventional in our lives, but his calling is always purposeful. God's calling might not look like it fits a mold, like it makes sense, but his calling always has a purpose, and his purpose is to bring heaven on earth. And we are to occupy until he comes. We are to bring glory to his name. We are to show everybody our God is good and he is faithful and he is present. This story and illustration leads me to another thought, which is this. Don't compare your calling to others, for each is tailor-made by God. Say tailor-made. I, I don't, I, I can't afford it, you know, but, you know, one day maybe... One day, I'm going to have a suit, like, made for me, you know? I don't always wear suits, but sometimes I have to. It's part of the, the work and the role. And I go to the store, and I get off the rack and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, this fits right, that doesn't fit right, this looks wonky and weird and all that stuff. But you know what? There is, when something is custom-made for you, it looks good. It accomplishes its purpose. It sits right. It is good. God has a custom, tailor-made calling for each and every one of us. 
God's not calling us to live someone else's calling and to, you know, work on someone else's anointing and to, you know, run off of somebody else's momentum. He wants us to live not comparing to others, but being tailor-made, anchored, secure in what he has for us. Look at verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. None of the first seven were chosen. Chosen to be king, that is. For I've already established with you guys that God has a desire and assignment for all of us to bring heaven on earth. So he's got a purpose and calling for all of us, but that purpose and calling looks different. So he denied all seven of these brothers the kingship. Because he had something else in mind for them. I wonder, though, if those brothers who had, did they really understand what was going on in that moment? I don't know. Does Jesse truly understand the weight and the magnitude of this moment? I don't know. But I can imagine being a human being. If I've gotten passed over for an opportunity, that that's going to, you know, be rewound and played again, and maybe a couple of times, maybe again and again. Maybe it's going to be, you know, running through my mind a little bit. Anybody here relate with me? Oh, you guys don't do that. Man, I need to really spend time with y'all. Y'all are very holy people. Help me out. I wonder if these guys were feeling low self-worth because, oh, God doesn't want me to be king. That kind of stings. I wonder if it weighed on them. I wonder if their father, Jesse, started to minimize his seven sons because they're like, oh, there's nothing special here. He didn't get picked to be king. I thought you would have gone for sure, but you didn't either. It's David, y'all. I got to hang out with David. He's the next king. He is going to be my golden ticket. He is punching my ticket. No taxes. Thank you, David. I wonder if Jesse started to minimize his other boys and they started to feel like I'm not special. Friend, parents, spiritual parents. Just a word of caution here. The comparison game has been known and proven to decimate self-confidence and self-worth. So don't play that game. Don't play that game. Through comparison, you communicate how not special one is. While God overlooked them for the throne, he didn't overlook them entirely. He had something for them to do. It just wasn't being a king. Instead of us comparing and diminishing, we should instead express gratitude. Say gratitude. We should value. Say value. We should enjoy Christians can have enjoyment? What? Yeah. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. It's what the word says. Instead of us comparing and diminishing, we should express gratitude. Speaking from a parental perspective, I know that this is extremely difficult to do, especially when it's bath time and they have splashed every square inch of that bathroom, including the light fixtures. I know. I know expressing gratitude is difficult when they have, you know, ditched the coloring books and they have progressed now to the walls, Priscilla. You know what I mean, right? It's on the furniture. It's on the walls. It's on the floor. It's not on the book. I bought you the book. It's right here. Book. It's not, if you come to my house and you see things painted on and all that stuff, it's not because we don't have books. I just want you to know that in advance. It's hard to express gratitude when like Gomer or like the prodigal son, our spiritual children wander off again and again and again. I know it's hard to express gratitude, but the reality is we're called to enjoy them and be grateful for them, nevertheless. Your children will develop that sense that 
they are accepted. They will develop a sense of their worth that will enable them to contribute to this world and fulfill their calling to the degree that you are glad they are here. It's kind of hard for you to pursue a calling and feel like you've got something to accomplish when all you hear is, you're a mistake. You'll never amount to anything. I never, you know, I knew that this would happen. You're always disappointing me. I knew you would, you know what, you said that you're faithful and that you believe in God and you're on fire for Jesus, but I knew that you were going to go back to the bottle. I knew that you were going to do this or that or whatever. It, I love you. I, I'm glad you're here. I know you screwed up. I, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you came home. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad that you are. You make my life better. I don't know what my life would be like without you. Maybe there are times when you're frustrated that you mean that in a negative way, but you know what? Let God just rewire your brain and you can start expressing gratitude and saying, my life truly would have been a lot more selfish without you in it. My life would have been a lot less fulfilling without you in it. If our kids and our spiritual kids get to hear, if our church gets to hear how we are grateful to just have them around, how we enjoy being in their company, how we are grateful that they are part of our lives, how they have made an indelible mark upon us and they have value and worth of their own, it would give them a sense that they are called no matter what. Maybe you're not called to be the king or the prophet or the ministry mogul or, you know what, the hotshot lawyer, but you know what, I'm glad you're in my life. And we're going to find that calling of yours no matter what. Susanna Wesley and her husband had, check this out, 18 children. Like, you know, did she like sneeze and then a kid come out? Like, I don't understand. That's a lot of kids. 18 children. Imagine packing lunch for 18 children. Honey, imagine how many laundry baskets they had. Like, they'd have to be going, not through laundry, but like washing machines every month because they've like just burnt that thing out. Imagine the time that it would take to minister and love and, and do life and take care of these children. And they lived in a time when they didn't have all the modern technologies. I joke around by washing machine, but they're doing that by hand back then. Imagine all the time it would take to do all of that stuff. Yet, Susanna Wesley refused to let time become her enemy. She made it her point that she was going to spend intentional time in her day, every day, with each and every one of her children individually. Like, forget work, chores, all that stuff. Just to factor in, you know, I know she's not spending an hour with each kid because, you know what, then when does she sleep? But... She is spending enough time with her kids, and I am convinced that it was her way of letting them know, I delight in you. You're important that I want to spend one-on-one -on -one time with you and you alone. John, get out of here. Charles, leave it alone. It's John's time right now. It, it, it's just us. It's, it's, it's mommy and, and, and boy time, mommy and, and girl time here, whatever, whoever the child is. And I'm convinced that that diligence enabled her two boys by the name of John and Charles Wesley to make the contributions to the church that they have done. For one became a great preacher, the other one a great hymn writer. And they are the ones who founded and created what today is known as the Methodist Church before it became a little confused. Oh, and let me just mention one last detail here. I got seven minutes. I'm sensing God is just putting on my heart to, to share this with somebody in the crowd. What is this that Pastor Brian's talking about? What if this isn't my experience? Yeah, yeah, it's all nice and fun and cute that you're saying all these things about worth and valuing, but I didn't experience that. Maybe I had parents or leaders who didn't recognize or affirm my value or my character or personality. What if others hasn't recognized your calling? Well, here, here's a scripture that I want you to stand on. I want you to write this down in your Bible, and I want you to memorize this, and you keep this ever before you, because it says in Galatians 1.10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? 
Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Friends, I want you to remember that your worth and your identity comes from God and God alone. If your mom was spectacular, praise the Lord. If your dad was present, amen, hallelujah. But if they weren't and you feel less than, then you know what? God never chose to believe that over you one second of his existence. You are worthy. You are valuable. You are cherished. Your identity belongs in him. Let's go to the next thing right here real quick. God's calling fuels the fire of expectation, propelling us into his marvelous plans. Say fire, expectation. Verse 12, it goes on to say, arise, anoint him, for this is he. This is he. Or as the New Living Translation says it, this is the one. These words express the idea of expectation. Something is being expected. I'm getting like huge Morpheus and Neo vibes. Any Matrix fans? You are the one. Luke Skywalker, your dad was supposed to bring order to the force. You're the one. You're the chosen one. But what it says is, hey, this is he. This is the one. What it says is, hey, David, you are special, buddy. I've got something special for you to do. I have something that you are going to do. It's, it's all baked within it, an expectation for something that's coming. You are the one. The one for what? The one to do what? No one says you're the one without some expectation tied behind it. See, this experience, I believe, was an anchor moment, an anchor experience for David. God had chosen him. God said, look, this is the one, not his brother, not his brother, not his other brother, not the other brother, not all these good-looking guys, these qualified people, these older men. No, not any of these people, but it is you, David. I'm expecting you to do something amazing. God chose him and expected him to be a somebody. You're going to be a somebody for me, David. You're going to do something with your gifts. Perhaps at some point later in his life when things got tough, maybe when he was at Ziklag and everyone came and stole his, his, his ladies and, and stole all the ladies of the men that worked with him and fought with him and, and took the children and, and spoiled the land. In that moment when he is frustrated and feeling despair and people want to pick up stones to stone him, and all of that, David could go back to this anchor moment and says, but God chose me. God picked me for his own. God is expecting me to be somebody. Even though my circumstances are trying to annihilate the somebody who is me. God is choosing me. He expects something for me. I believe David would look back on that day and he would take heart because he knows God has chosen me. Anybody here tracking with what I'm saying? God has chosen me. There is an expectation here. And isn't expectation crucial, church? Expect nothing and you'll produce nothing. Parents, you can say amen. Expect nothing from your children and they will produce how many of your kids have like supernaturally by their free will like picked up their room, put everything away, washed the dishes, walked the dog, took out the trash? Did they do any of that stuff on their own and said, Mom, Dad, look what I did for you today? Nobody. <laughs> Honey, we got to figure this out. <laughs> I got two kids and they're going to be doing all of these wonderful things in Jesus' mighty name. Expect nothing and you get nothing. Train them just to get by and they are going to coast in life in a life of mediocrity. I praise God that I would come home and my mom be like, oh, you, you got a B? Well, well, I know you can produce an A. And she would help me to believe in myself, to think that I could possibly do it. Expect nothing, get nothing. 
But what if, if we look at God's word, because God says, arise, anoint, for this is he. If God is calling and expecting David to become a somebody, what if we were to engage our children, our spiritual children, our church, our colleagues, our bosses, ourselves, if we were to expect something out of people and we would say, I am expecting the very best of God, what God intended you to be, to be what you produce. What would life look like? What if we were to believe and ask people to be the best that God made them to be and ask them to do something themselves in that track? I just, I just want to watch. I want to sit back and see the beautiful things that God will do. The amazing things that will come forth. When you expect that, people blossom right before your eyes. There was a pastor by the name of John Claiborne. He wrote in his book, Stages. He said this, that parents ought to cultivate a kind of Christmas tree spirit in their children. Communicating to them that all kinds of packages lie about in their nature and their personality. And they need to open them up and find out what's there. It's like a Christmas tree. Presence under the tree. Just go look in your personality. Go look at your talents. Go look at your abilities. Just go check out what's there. Expect them to go look and search and there is something there. And as we do that, no matter how secure a child may feel or, and how they might sense that you delight in them, no matter how much self-worth they may be internalizing within themselves, if there was also not a sense of responsibility developed within the child, they will not fulfill the dream that God called them to be. There is something about expectation. I remember when I moved to Natick, my parents ruined my social life by taking me out of Framingham. I'm not just kidding. I love you, Mom. Love you, stepdad. It's all good. They bought a house. We were living in an apartment, and the apartment was kind of crazy. And so now here we are getting the American dream. We're going to have our little portion of that pie. And uh, there's a house that is ours. Just happens to be in the town that is the rival to the town that we currently lived in. Just happened to be a place where I had no friends and knew nobody. And I felt, how could my mom do this to me? Well, it also happened to be during a time that I had just gotten into high school and I was having a little too much fun with my friends. Some of them which had cars and now you're navigating the teen life of being able to hop in a car with somebody and go somewhere else instead of going to school. I know no one does that anymore. That was just me back in the day. So my grades were slipping, and all these things were not going well for me because I was just having a little too much fun in high school. Well, we moved our sophomore year, came into a school I didn't know, but I remember coming into sophomore English class with a teacher by the name of Mrs. Sims, which so happens to have been from Millis, the town that I now reside in. So like I think about her often. Mrs. Millis had gone through cancer and she was overcoming. She was regrowing her hair. I might have shared the story with some of y'all, but if, if I have, just humor me for a second. But Mrs. Sims had a new outlook on life because she was persevering and overcoming in the midst of all the, her difficulties. She had expectations. I'm going to surpass this thing and I'm going to make it an effort to see God's beauty in my life and to make an impact in the world around me. And so we walked into class and every single day, pretty much, we had some sort of quiz. Every class. There was word of the day every day. We needed to know a new vocabulary word and be able to put it in a sentence and understand it and write it and all sorts of things. And I'm like, what is this? We had pop quizzes. We had extra readings. She had high expectations, and she would not let a single kid off the hook. And I praise God for that teacher, because her high expectations of me helped me for the very first time in my life get on the honor roll. And every other time after that, even into my college career, I was able to maintain honor rolls. Why? Because I got met with a teacher who had high expectations. One who says, Brian, you're better than this, and you're going to rise up to the occasion. So get to work. 
No, no, I don't accept that excuse. You should know this word by now. Learn how to read it, write it, spell it, all that other stuff. There is something about expectations. When we step into God's calling, it fuels the fire of expectations, and it propels us into his marvelous plans because he's got better plans for us. Amen? Let me give you one more because I'm three minutes over. God's calling is not about our qualification, but it's about his equipping. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Do you think that David had the skills to pay the bills? Think about this. A little shepherd boy who was out in the back country, who's the run of the family. Do you think that this little man is prepared to tackle matters of national security, oversee a national budget, and to deal with foreign relations? Does David have the skills to pay the bills? I, I don't think so. Likewise, just in case you didn't know it, spoiler alert, we are ill-prepared and ill-equipped to do the things that God has called us to do. But the good news is it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about his spirit. It's not by might or powers, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So thank God that we don't have the skills. Yes, we have to work hard to attain and do everything within our power. However, it's about God's spirit. When things get difficult, when things feel like we're way out of our leagues, and man, do I feel out of my league often. I am just reminded that God does not look at opinion polls or care about opinions before he elects his leaders. He says, follow me in obedience, and I'll provide for you what you need. How many can say, God, thank you that you equip those who you call? Joshua 1.9, I remember this verse every time I might feel out of my league. It says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. It says that the Spirit came upon David, and he was with them from then on. This is the Old Testament, people. Well, I heard, Pastor, that the whole Spirit of God didn't come till the day of Pentecost. I heard that the Spirit of God would come upon people, and then they would do something, and then they would leave, and the Spirit of God would go back to God. It says that the Spirit of God came upon him from that day forward. What David got to experience was an exception, not the rule. Trust in God's presence and his promise that he will never leave or forsake you in the midst of your challenges and uncertainties. God will glorify his name. Just watch. In the words of 1 Samuel, in verses chapter 16, verse 12, arise, anoint him, for this is he. I want you to see the echo that God is speaking here. His voice that is reaching each and every one of us this morning. As the team comes up and we get ready to respond in faith to God, I want you to reflect on the timeless tale of David's anointing. I want you to see how it reminds us that God's calling is not bound by human expectations, but it is by his qualifications. It transcends our limitations and he equips us for the divine purpose as we bring heaven on earth. Say, it is me. Go ahead, say this. It is me. As God was saying it to David, he's saying it to each and every one of us. Just as David was chosen and anointed to be a divine instrument of God, we too are called to fulfill God's redemptive plan in our generation. We're not just here to suck up air, keep this biological temple operating until the day it gives out. We've got a redemptive purpose. We got a plan. God has something for us to do. Each of us bears the mark of God's chosen ones, destined to bring heaven's reality. 
Have you considered that? Your work is not just your work. It's your mission field. Your home isn't just a place where you rest and recover your energies for the next day. It's a place where the presence of God abides and everyone that comes into that place will feel the redemptive plan of God through your life. It doesn't matter if you're a king, queen, or the court gesture. You're called by God. You've got a plan and a purpose. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you feel unsure of what your calling may be. You're, you're questioning your qualifications. You're saying, Pastor, yeah, this is great, but it's not for me. Maybe you're doubting your abilities. I want to assure you, my friend, that God has called you. George Washington Carver in the 20th century. Amidst deep racial divisions, segregation in the United States, there was a man by the name of George Washington Carver who did something incredible. He was born into slavery and he was facing immense challenges as an African-American scientist. Yet Carver surrendered his talents to God. He asked God, show me how I can use what you've given me to serve humanity for your good. Through his groundbreaking research in agriculture and botany, this man revolutionized farming and farming practices. And he transformed the lives of so many countless farmers across the South. Despite facing discrimination and adversity, uh, Carver remained steadfast in his commitment to his calling, believing God is going to honor the calling that he's placed within me. God's got a purpose in my life. He has chosen me for this field. He has chosen me for this little neck of the woods. He has chosen me for this niche and this market. He has chosen me for this home and this family. And his story reminds us that God has a plan that transcends the barriers and limitations of humankind. How can a shepherd boy become king? Well, God uses the lowly things of the earth to confound the wise. By his spirit. By his power. So as we leave this place, I'm going to invite you to stand up. Because my invitation for you is twofold. I want you to fan into flame the fire of expectation within your own heart. I want you to seek God's presence and say, Lord, you've got some expectations of me. And it's not just listen to this rule. Don't break that commandment. It's not just that, guys. He's got some expectations when it comes to your calling. It is beautiful and it's unique. But have you explored it? Have you said, Father, show me the way. Reveal to me what you want me to do. I urge you today, just as David was anointed as king, I urge you to come to the King of Kings who would come down his line, who has made a way for each and every one of us to reveal to you the truth of your purpose. And secondly, I invite you to look at the relationships in your life. And I want you to start cultivating calling in them. Next week, we're going to have a service where I hope you're going to partner with us in doing just that with some of our next generation students. In cultivating calling within them. In sharing how much you value and you appreciate what they're choosing to put before God. That you see the value in it. And the beauty behind it. Because it all brings glory to the Father. Amen. So I invite you as you just contemplate. If you've never responded to this King of Kings and received life that is transformative, the calling to himself first and foremost, to have a relationship within, with him, then I urge you today, make, make that change. Maybe you've walked away from the faith and you said, hey, I, I don't want anything to do with the calling of being a follower of Jesus. If that's you, I want you to just say, Lord, today I'm coming back home. 
If that's you, I want to invite you to come up to this altar right now. We want to celebrate with you. If you haven't said yes to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for empowerment to live a life devoted to him, to the love of the Father, then I want you to come and make that change today. Answer his call. That's his call first. God desires that none should perish, but he wants all to have everlasting life. He's calling us to life. If you're experiencing anything but life, then come to him. Rekindle your relationship with him. I'll give you a moment. As I promised you at the beginning, as we prayed, Jesus is calling. As you contemplate, start praying. Start reviewing the things that maybe you have allowed to slip away when it comes to your call. Maybe you just got caught up in the monotony of life and the rhythms that you let go of yourself. You let go of his heavenly purpose in your life and your family. Today, seek repentance for that. Maybe you just want someone to come and hold you and, and hold your hand or give you a hug and and pray with you as the Bible says, iron should sharpen iron. There is community that cultivates calling. We invite you to come to these altars. We'll pray with you. Father, although you had one king, succession of kings that came after Father I recognize that everybody within your side is royalty chosen priesthood a holy people Lord I thank you for these men and women that are before me those who are joining the stream Father I pray that you would bless their lives today that, Father, you would speak louder than every distraction and every detracting word. That you would speak, Lord God, your truth. That says you were made on purpose for a purpose. I pray that you would release that purpose inside of their awareness today, Jesus. You've got men and women here, Lord, who are meant to create things that don't yet exist. You've got people here, Father, that are going to mend and restore things that are broken. You've got people here, Lord Jesus, who will create jobs and opportunities for countless others. You've got people here, Lord, who are going to fight for someone else's room. Lord, you have so many beautiful callings in this place callings of encouragement, of love, of zeal, of compassion, of mercy. Lord, I pray that you would release on every life and that you would cultivate the seeds that are all the mighty oaks in this place. In Jesus' mighty name.